Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. Okay, the last couple weeks we've been looking for silver linings in the pandemic. And top of the list, when the world breaks, it's an invitation for us to reassess, for us to reconsider the things not worthy of the priority that we've given them. Now, one of the things that many people right now are rethinking is our American work ethic. We Americans work hard, and we have benefited from doing so. And we have a story inside of our collective consciousness. We are not Puritans, but we carry that work ethic. Working hard in that ethic defines what a good person is. The the harder we work, the better. Bigger, better, faster, quicker, more efficient. And historically, we have had unparalleled economic prosperity. And that has tended to reinforce our story. And so for a long time, we have treated our hard work makes us good people story as though it were sacred. Uh, Cleanliness is next to godliness, (laughs) but it's not as close to godliness as productiveness. So for a long time, very few of us questioned our core narrative. It was a given. It was unchallengeable. But then the planet starts breaking, and a few of us start questioning. Then society breaks. Well, really, we wake up and see the parts of society that have been broken for a long time. And then a few more start questioning. And then the whole damn world breaks and we get locked up in our houses for a year. And then a lot of us start questioning the unsustainable way that we have been living. Our work ethic story that is so beneficial over here is actually harming us over there. It's the same story. Helpful, extraordinarily helpful. Harmful, extraordinarily harmful. That's the way it goes, and it's what makes life so complex and what makes, as we'll see in a moment, discerning so incredibly important. But it's also the way it goes that we don't question our givens, we don't question the unchallengeable things until something breaks, until things get painful. So, there's a silver lining. We're asking questions that we might not have asked. We're questioning our American lives as strivers, as long-hour workers, as gratification delayers, productive and efficient. We're questioning how much of that is actually good. And it is not necessarily true that if a little bit is good, more is better. And we saw last week driving those questions and helping us wake up is seeing how dysfunctional our relationship with rest really is. We've seen that this year. Our work ethic story, it comes with a dark side. Rest is doing nothing. Now that's not true, but it is very much the story that we tell. Rest is laziness. Also not true. Rest is something we earn with enough productivity. Rest is luxury. Rest is guilt. All of those we unconsciously carry in our shared collective narrative not true. 
Rest is the same kind of human need as air. It's not a luxury. It's not earned. We say it all the time. Any truth that is not true enough will eventually break down and eventually has arrived. Denise, my wife, sent me a podcast a few weeks ago. It was an interview with a neuroscientist who was talking about how our bodies and how our minds heal themselves. And we have a human inclination, the podcast said, when something isn't working, we try harder. When something isn't working, we push a little bit harder, which really works in some settings, but in other settings, not at all. And with mind healing and with body healing, it doesn't work. In fact, healing works just the opposite. Trying harder and pushing harder activates a series of mechanisms inside of us designed for the times we need to deal with danger or the times that we need to deal with a predator or with hunger or thirst. The way our brains work, when we go into that mode, the pushing harder mode, the striving after mode, when that kicks in, the healing processes inside of us, they shut down. And they shut down on purpose. They shut down in order to free up system resources so that we can handle whatever urgent thing is right in front of us. Healing processes only kick in when we unpush, when we unstrive, when we untry harder, when we unclench and relax, when we allow. That's when our brains begin to send out unurgent signals telling the healing processes, okay, it's your turn now. When our breathing slows, when our pulse regulates, when the people we love chemicals begin to swirl around inside of our bodies, that's when healing begins. So, if you've got chronic pain in your body, or if you've got chronic anxiety in the mind, a good idea to consider is how our work ethic story has done something to us and our dysfunctional relationship with rest has done something to us because there's a good chance what it has done is kept us out of healing mode so that our bodies haven't had the time they need to heal themselves so that our minds have not had the time to heal themselves because when we tell ourselves a story that we've not yet earned our right to rest, or if we tell ourselves a story that we're being lazy, or if we are motivated by the guilt that we so often feel when we rest, that's going to keep us from going into healing mode. We need to go into it quite frequently. There is a rhythm of life in which we need to be in that mode, and we don't go there enough. So today, a little bit more about rest First, some big picture context, and second, some practical stuff, what we could do. All right, so I'll put the questions back up again so you can be thinking, and again, use the Menti code. <clears throat> One practical thing that you can do to restore, to rejuvenate. Okay, a little bit more how our brains work context. Let's talk about expectations. Expectations have an outside outsized impact on how we live our lives. Here's a very simple example. The average American salary in 2020 was $56,310. So if we expect an average salary, but whoa, we are offered $60,000, 4,000 above what we expect, we begin to tell ourselves a story about what happened. And that story evokes a flood of feeling good chemicals through our brains and bodies be at peace chemicals, 
feel secure chemicals. You can relax now chemicals. Quite possibly that story will put our bodies into non-urgent mode where healing happens. On the other hand, if our expectations because of peer salaries or family expectations or some cultural story about success, if our uh, expectations is that we have $70,000, 14000 above the average, but we are only offered 60000 4000 above the average, well, now we have a very different story running in our heads. And we have a very different flood of chemicals going through our bodies because now they are action-required chemicals. Better do something right away chemicals. Something is wrong, chemicals. Same salary, same purchasing power, different states of being evoked by differing expectations. Now I imagine just hearing those numbers, 56, 60, 70, you might have a glimpse of how your own expectations are affecting you. Might be those are not enough numbers, or those are fine numbers, or what's wrong with this, or what's wrong with that numbers. You get a, just a little glimpse of how expectations affect us. But the point today isn't about salaries. The point is what happens to us if we allow expectations to run things uninterrupted, if we allow our expectations to run things unchallenged. Here's what they'll do. They will shut down rest. They will shut down our expectations, rejuvenation. They will evoke run-from-the-predator mechanisms inside of our bodies. Or expectations will put us into rest and put us into rejuvenation. So we are either going to examine our expectations, we're going to negotiate with them, assess them, we're going to judge them, or they are going to dictate our days unseen and unjudged. And if that happens, we're going to spend a whole lot of days in a state of not healing. Expectations. Now here's the problem with this whole thing. Expectations are usually set for us. And they're usually set for us unconsciously. Most often, we absorb our expectations. We inherit our expectations. We pick our expectations up when we're focusing on something else. Somebody else, unseen, unobserved, without us even being in the conversation, without debate, without assessment, sets our expectations for us and inserts them into our heads and says, this is what it would be to be a good person. This is how you are supposed to live. This is what you should expect. Now again, that's a problem. It's a problem because expectations determine rejuvenate or don't. Heal or don't. So somebody inserting expectations into our heads, this is a problem. But it is what happens. It happens all the time. Culture inserts expectations into our heads when we're doing something else. Teachers and friends and family and movies and TV and books and magazines insert expectations into our heads when we are doing something else. Now, some folks who have been researching our brains studiously, who have accessed a billion data points and are doing a billion A-B A B tests, are getting never before in history good at inserting expectations into our heads. Now, you know that. And I know that. 
we already think those thoughts. So what we also think is we've taken care of that. We've built up adequate defenses against that because we know how to ignore telemarketers and we know how to skip commercials. We tell ourselves, not me, I am not that gullible. But we greatly overestimate our capacity to ignore social influence, especially culturally embedded social influence. And we greatly underestimate how shrewd the pitch has become. Now again, there's a problem. Expectations determine healing, not healing. So what are we going to do? Well, you are part of Common Thread, so you will have heard that there are deeper stories, that there are better stories, there are ancient wisdom stories, and there are bigger than ego self stories, bigger than false self stories. You are going to attend an Enneagram seminar and you're going to get in a group and you're going to learn how to dismantle the stories. You're going to get involved in self-awareness. You're looking at the stories that are going on inside. And those stories, they often do put us into healing mode because we do have an inner voice capacity and it will nudge us and it will help us find a truer way and a better way. And so discernment becomes a critical spiritual skill. Discerning better stories, discerning inner wisdom stories. And here's the thing for today. You know what? Rest. There's a reason the Sabbath became a cornerstone of religion, because rested people are able to discern the better stories, and unrested people are not. Rest helps us see beyond our inherited expectations. It's actually not that hard to be discerning. What's really hard is getting into the mind space where discerning happens getting into a quieted mind space, a receptive mind space, a rested, non-urgent, clear-eyed mind space. Get into the mind space, we're actually pretty good at discerning. Now there's not much that we can do about absorbing other people's expectations. That's just how human being works. We are social animals. We influence one another and we are influenced by one another. But what we can do is discern the merit of those expectations that we absorb. We can measure them, we can evaluate them, we can choose them, or we can set them down. We can do that. And we can do that if rest. But under the influence of our inherited work ethic, we don't. And when we don't, discernment is one of the casualties. We end up ruled by the tyranny of our unseen expectations. So rest, so rejuvenation. All right, that's the bigger picture context part. Here's the practical what do we do part. Well, during what are you thinking last week, Zane, by the way, if you're uh, online, you won't have met Zane yet, he's kind of new. He said this, he said, well, in our group, Doug, we had a question. Okay, so we need to rest, got it. But what are we supposed to do when our brains won't? What do we do when our brains won't shut down when we can't rest, which is a great question. And the group talked it over, and I've been mulling it over this week, and so I'm gonna tell you a story. <laughs> I have been preparing lessons every week since 1989. <laughs> I did not do the math, 
but I usually miss three or four Sundays in a year. So whatever that number is, it's a lot of Sundays, it's a lot of lessons. And you know what has never, in all of that time, never once happened? Well, there's two things. One of them is completely irrelevant, but I found it interesting. In all that time, I have never had an urgent need for the bathroom while I was giving a lesson. Now, I don't know why that thought came into my mind, and I also don't know why it happened, but it seems numerically unlikely, but I suspect there's some body feature going on that I don't know about, but again, that one's irrelevant. <laughs> Here's the relevant thing that has never happened. I have never not been ready for a Sunday. Now, I have had tough weeks, lots of them. I've had funerals, and I've had emergencies, and I have had unexpected family crises, and I have had writer's block, and I've had severe discouragement. I've had all of that stuff. But I moved things around, or I adapted, or I figured it out. I have never once showed up unprepared because it has never even occurred to me that unprepared was an option. Now, I know I'm not alone, You've got things like that too. You've got some non-negotiables that would never even occur to you, those kinds of things. Now, here's the ancient wisdom, which is very practical. Put rest into that category. Approach rejuvenation like that. Put it into the category of, it would never occur to me to not. That's the wisdom of the Sabbath. Sabbath happens Fridays at sundown, no matter what. Busy week, Friday at sundown. Emergency at work, pressure on the job, relational troubles, a looming deadline, Fridays at sundown. You just show up every time and rest. Now here's the thing about that. Do that for any length of time and we stumble into an answer to Zane's question. Because our brains learn the rhythm. Ah, it's Friday sundown, time to shut down. Our brains figure that out. No matter what's going on, our brains learn to shut down at shutdown time. I realized pretty early in this job that Saturday nights were not going to be a social night for me. To do what I do, I have to start quieting down the night before. <clears throat> now, lots of people that I care about deeply have invited me through the years to lots of interesting things on Saturday nights. And I've gone to a few and realized very quickly, yeah, I, I cannot do this. This does not work. And before very long, it stopped even being a thought in my head. I don't even think about doing social things on Saturday nights. Uh, it's people stopped asking because they kind of picked it up that that's not something you asked Doug to do. And I stopped even thinking about it. I don't feel like I'm missing out. I don't feel like I'm sacrificing. It became a life rhythm. I do these things at these times because it feels good and because it works for me. I don't do those things at those times for just the opposite reason. It doesn't feel good and it doesn't work for me. And so it became very comfortable and it began to fit because it works. Also, very quickly when I started that, my brain started figuring out how to start slowing down Saturdays at 6 p.m. It just happens. Even when my kids are in crises, which is one of the hardest times for my mind to start resting, even then, but also when the week is crazy or when the to-do list is exploding, my mind just starts slowing down 
Saturdays at 6 p.m. It wasn't till I was listening to that neuroscientist that it occurred to me, ah, Saturdays at 6 p.m. are when my brain starts healing itself. Saturdays at 6 p.m. is when my body starts rejuvenating itself. Now here's what the ancients knew. They knew that a day of renewal was important, so important they made it the cornerstone of religion. They had fights in order to protect the Sabbath. They made it a cornerstone because they knew. They knew about the human proclivity to devalue rest. They didn't even know about the Puritan work ethic, but they knew that. And they knew about our tendency to prioritize achievement over restoration. And they knew about expectations. They knew about false self-drivers. They knew that rest would feel like doing nothing, and they knew that we would want to keep up with one another. They knew that we would want to conform our expectations to somebody else's expectations, and they knew that we would harm ourselves if we let those expectations run unchallenged. And so they gave us a gift, a set time to turn it all off, a hard stop, a no-option time each week. They also did something that we really cannot do. They built in cultural expectations because everybody shut down at the same time and everybody reinforced resting for everybody else because healing, because discerning, because anxiety, because depression, because well-being. But we don't have that. We don't have cultural reinforcement and we, in fact, we have just the opposite. We have cultural resistance, which is a pretty big factor driving our epidemic, our shared epidemic of burnout and anxiety and depression. I often say if the culture gets insane, counterculture is sanity. But here's the thing, counterculture is difficult. It is difficult to go against the tide of our shared expectations. It's difficult to even see that we have inherited those norms and expectations. We think that they're coming from within our own head. We think they're our own thoughts. We don't see that we inherited them at work or at school or in family or from the culture. But silver lining here, when the pandemic broke the world, we actually started asking those hard questions. If ever there was a time for making change if ever there was a time for adjusting and rebuilding, now is the time. In today's weekly meditation, we're doing a self-examination in a look at the week ahead kind of way. And looking ahead at this week, we're seeing if we can plan to, by foreseeing a time this week, where we can navigate a space where we are usually rushed in a non-rushed, healthier pace way. We're looking ahead at the week and seeing if we can set a time when we can daydream, not have a mental agenda. And we're looking ahead at a time where we can practice hard stops, where we say, this is the time I will not be doing, this is the time I will be restoring. Because those help human beings rethink rest. Hard stops, no matter what, time protected for not doing, being with people we love, gardening or walking, protecting time for being restored. So you may want to join the meditation and the conversation that's going on this week. And so, inner divine, 
May we be daydreamers, hard stoppers, and rejuvenators. May we see our expectations, see them for what they are. May we be discerning, adjusting our expectations to a healthy place. Amen. Well, if you would, please prepare your offerings. And as you're doing that, um, let us remember, as we say each week, that an investment in community has a great return. When we give our time and our love and our energy and the dollars that it takes to be healthy, there is a funny thing that happens in spiritual community. The people that we give that to turn around and give it back to us. And there is usually an amplification of that. When we invest in spiritual community, we create the context in which our own souls thrive. We all give our dollars online now. You can go to our website, top of the uh, page is a donate button, and you will see the um, options, several ways to give. Now, in a moment, we're going to dismiss the folks on the live stream, and we'll do what are you thinking here in the room. By the way, if you're on the live stream and you would be interested in hosting an online version of what are you thinking, please use the contact button because we're trying to work out how we're going to be doing that, and uh, so if you would do that. Also, uh, for those of you on the live stream, the questions are in the live stream notes. You can talk them over at home while you wait for us to figure that part out. Well, if you would, please put your hand on your heart and let us remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness are within us because we carry the inner light within us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed. You all are not. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you